Last week, the president announced the most comprehensive package of energy reforms in two decades. Within his action plan are initiatives that the private sector has been recommending for about as long. But we've seen plenty of plans in the past that have amounted to no more than words. Will this one be different? Will the private sector prove willing to step in where government has fallen short? And does South Africa have construction capacity to drive renewable projects? This is No Ordinary Wednesday, an in-depth look at the events and trends, moving markets, shaping the economy and changing the game. A warm welcome, I'm Jeremy Max. Just a few weeks ago, the country was plunged into another power crisis with ESCOM implementing stage six load shedding with devastating impact on lives, livelihoods and investor confidence. Stage six load shedding was a tipping point which led to various government departments such as the Department of Mineral Resources and Energy, Public Enterprises, Environmental Affairs and Trade and Industry working together to find solutions. Now President Ramaphosa has unveiled his action plan to claw the country out of the dark hole of load shedding. There is a shortage of approximately 4 to 6 gigawatt shortfall during peak demand times which can increase to 10 gigawatts over the next 12 years. Licence requirements for private power producers have been scrapped and ESCOM will be given the space to fix their ageing power station fleet. Our guests today discussing the implications of the plan are Investec Treasury economist Tersha Jacobs, Andre Vepina, Head of Structured Finance Solutions, and Transactor at Investec's Power and Infrastructure Finance Team, Bernard Geldenhuis. To all of you, a very warm welcome to No Ordinary Wednesday. Just a few weeks ago on this podcast, we had a discussion with you, Bernard, about what government needs to do to address the power problem. Then we have the president's action plan being delivered. Have any of your questions, I wonder, been dealt with? Uh, Jeremy, hi, thanks. Yeah, so I think, you know, from the president's address, you know, there were a few things that we mentioned during the last podcast that should be taken into consideration. One was around expanding the bid windows. And that came through with bid Windows 6 now being expanded from 2,600 megawatts to 5,200 megawatts, which should alleviate some of the pressure on the grid probably in the next 12 to 24 months. We, we asked for a more pragmatic approach around local content, which also came through in his speech. Interesting is that the um, president announced the intention to scrap the licensing requirements. Currently, the cap is sitting at 100 megawatts, which was increased from 1 megawatt. We know that to date with that cap, there's about 80 private sector projects lined up of about 6,000 megawatts. So removing that cap further should increase private sector participation. There's a lot of red tape around the EIA process. And again, it sounds like there will be a, a practical approach applied towards this. He announced investments into the um, grid infrastructure, which will unlock the constraints that we're currently seeing in the Northern Cape. And very interestingly is that he's looking to buy power from the South African power pool. What's even more interesting is that earlier this year, they announced that, that typically you, your members to the South African power pool was countries. Um, and that from January this year was expanded to include independent power producers. So Bernard, a big to-do list, but speed here is of the essence, obviously, given the increased frustration among uh, business and individual South Africans. Yes, that's true, Jeremy. Um, and we'll have to see how long it takes for these plans to be um, put into action by the president and his advisory committee. So Andre, by and large, the plan has been welcomed. The question, of course, is will the initiatives be enough to plug our energy supply hole? And maybe even more importantly, over what sort of timeline? 
Yeah, thanks, Jeremy. I think what's very interesting is that the president has really firmly knocked the ball back into our court as the private sector. As the private sector, particularly in the power industry, for a number of years, we've been crying out for these changes. And now that they've come, um, we really need to step up to the plate and show that we can deliver. I think there's a couple of very interesting parts to the question that we need to look at in terms of how we're actually going to get there, because there's an enormous challenge to be overcome here. Essentially, we need to alleviate the current shortfall in generation capacity, i.e. remove load shedding. Um, And then the next challenge is to replace the generation capacity that we'll lose as the coal fleet is retired systematically over the next seven years. So really, the the plan as we understand it, um, and you look at it more broadly across South Africa, is to add around six gigawatts of firm capacity, similar to a baseload kind of profile, and then to add 50 to 60 gigawatts of variable capacity, i.e. renewables, and around 10 gigawatts of storage capacity, which is a typically pumped hydro storage uh, and batteries. So what's really interesting or exciting for us is that variable capacity, that renewable capacity, and they're looking to the private sector largely to develop. First of all, as Bernard mentioned, there are the existing government-led programs. Um, the REIPP bid window five and six will still close, and there's the risk mitigation program. Between those, you'll get around um, 9.8 gigawatts of capacity, and we think that'll come onto the grid um, between sort of 2023 and 26. Then when you start looking at where the private sector can really get involved post these changes in uh, in legislation, you kind of have to look at it across the spectrum. So at the, at the top end of the spectrum, you've got the very large utility scale projects that are bigger than 50 megawatts, where typically you will have a developer building that project, the power will be wheeled through the Eskim grid and sold to one large off-taker. And those are typically the mines and the smelters, players who are really using um, a lot of generation capacity. Then you've got further down the spectrum, the smaller manufacturing type industry where they probably aren't big enough to want to go and procure their own project, but we're going to see aggregation type vehicles coming into play where you'll have multiple uh, generators, multiple uh, off-takers who will then be brought together in a sort of common marketplace. Again, wheeling and using the the Eskim grid. The third category is going to be the commercial and industrial off-takers, a market that is already established, but until recently could only generate up to one megawatt uh, because of the licensing threshold. That's threshold per site now being out the way means we'll see that market growing, we think, exponentially over the next uh, couple of years. And then the last category um, is the residential rooftop solar, which, as the president's announced, um, we're now going to be uh, allowed to um, to actually push power back into the grid from our homes um, through a feed-in tariff scheme. And it's very interesting. We, we mustn't under play the value of that last piece. Just to give an example, I understand that in Australia, 14% of their total grid capacity is serviced through residential rooftop solar. Um, And another great example that's been thrown around a bit lately is that when they implemented a similar scheme in Vietnam, they were able to add 7.2 gigawatts of capacity onto their grid within 12 months. So I've said there quite a lot, but I think to summarize and and to answer your question, there's a big challenge ahead, um, but it is a very exciting opportunity for investment in the country. An exciting opportunity. And in the short to medium term, then it does satisfy the country's requirement. We believe so. Yeah, I think uh, we won't get there straight away. But it sounds like two to three years, we'll see sort of a big chunk of what's been planned coming onto the grid. And then it's going to be over the next six to seven years that we'll really see whether uh, we're able to, as I said, actually replace that uh, capacity that's going to come off the grid as the coal uh, fleet is retired. The challenge, of course, is whether we have sufficient capacity on the grid right now to implement all of this new generation that you referred to, I guess. Yeah, so as as Bernard alluded to earlier, there is a big challenge in terms of our grid capacity, particularly because what tends to happen in South Africa is that the parts of the country where we have a very rich resource in terms of solar and, and wind is not necessarily where the large portions of our population are that actually have where the demand for the power is. So that transmission grid becomes critical. And so there really is a, a big focus from Eskim, we understand, to expand the transmission grid into the Northern Cape in particular, where a lot of our solar resource is. Um, I understand they're planning to add around 8,000 kilometers of additional 
on transmission lines and 101 additional substations uh, over the next seven years. And on top of that, there's plans obviously to strengthen the distribution network because of all the additional embedded generation that we anticipate uh, being added to the grid. And that is around seven and a half thousand kilometers of lines that are going to be strengthened. So big plans by Eskim, um, and we hope they can deliver. Big plans, of course, require big money, large amounts of money. Tosha, the plan also included the split of ESCOM, which is going to happen soon. We have been aware of this for quite some time. But the utility doesn't have the finances to undertake big maintenance projects when it splits into three. It's going to need money for upgrades, for transmission. Where is this money going to come from? Thanks, Jeremy. So... The first issue is dealing with Eskom's solvency, and there are two parts to that question. So first of all, it's its debt load of 396 billion rand. You know, Eskom just can't afford servicing the debt. And then there's also maturities, which is a major challenge. So in the October MTBPS, the Minister of Finance will announce how this 396 billion rand will be restructured. You know, currently it looks like, you know, at least half of it, we don't know yet, will be transferred to to government's balance sheet, but that will then, you know, allow Eskom to to bring on new finance capacity. But what becomes so important here is then the sustainability of Eskom, because, you know, it's no use transferring that amount of debt onto the government's balance sheet, you know, which could potentially hold implications for for taxpayers if, you know, Eskom has to go back to government in future for additional financing. So the aspect that becomes important then is what happens to Eskom's revenues because there are currently a few challenges. So the first one is, you know, the municipal arrears, that's more than 40 billion rand. Secondly, it is weaker growth, weaker demand for electricity has impacted sales, which has fed into the amount of revenue raised. And then thirdly, which is a very important part of it, is the electricity tariff increases. Let's reflect on that if we can then. Where do you see the electricity tariff increase debate heading? Unfortunately, I think we're heading towards steeper tariff increases going forward. NERSA had the tendency over the past few years not to grant Eskom the increase that they required. For example, in the current fiscal year, which is, starts in July 2023 to June 2023, NERSA granted an increase of 9.6%. And if you look what went into the decision, the annual increase amounted to only 3.5%, which was well below the 20% that Eskom requested. And then the balance of 6.1% was made up of a clawback. So in other words, in previous years where Eskom incurred additional spending over and above what NERSA granted, there is a clawback which allows Eskom then to request that uh, high tariff increase to compensate them for it. But the challenge is with these kind of increases, Eskom just can't meet its targeted revenue because an increase increase in revenue determines the the tariff increase. So that shortfall in the tariff increase relative to its targeted revenue then results in a lack of finance to pay for more maintenance.
So at the moment, um, you know, Eskom has requested an increase of 32% for the next financial year. It is major. So we'll have to see how this is going to play out. But also to provide Eskom with an annual increase also doesn't enhance their planning capacity. So it's very likely that Eskom can be granted a two-year increase. But I think businesses and households have to prepare themselves for relatively steep increases, which feed into, you know, fixing the energy crisis. Tersha, stand by. I'm going to come back to you in just a moment. But a quick reminder that a new episode of No Ordinary Wednesday drops every fortnight. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the channel, please rate us. Tersha, let's shift the conversation now to the economics of this action plan. What are the implications then for our growth outlook post the announcement? You know, as Bernard and Andre alluded to earlier on, there are massive positive repercussions for our economy. You know, when you look back over the past 10 years, since the FIFA World Cup in 2010 and the hard train, South Africa hasn't actually had any major investment projects. With that, you know, the major challenges facing government in its ability to implement the very weak business confidence has resulted in fixed investment, you know, as a percentage of GDP, declining from about 22% in 2008 to a mere 13 in 21. And that is well below other emerging markets, you know, where fixed investment, you know, runs at nearly 30% of GDP. Very importantly are the implications for business confidence. You know, with the stage six load shedding in June, represented a tipping point in in various respects. First of all, you know, we started to downgrade our economic outlook because which investor will undertake new capacity investment if you're so unsure about your future energy supply? So that was point one. And I think then point two was with this energy plan, you know, we're looking at major investments in the green um, energy. And some of the numbers that are bandied around, you know, amounts to nearly 1 trillion rand over the next three to five years, probably. And of that is generation, where about 900 billion rand is flagged. The transmission, as Andre mentioned to, is nearly 130 billion rand. And then distribution is close to 60 billion rand. So, you know, if we get timelines, our planning, all the, the various ministers of the, in the cabinet are going to announce their, their plans, um, this week, we'll get a better, um, idea. All right, Bernard, I want to pick up on Tertia's point then about fixed investment, if we can. Inevitably, this plan is going to benefit some industries and supply chains. How's that going to play out? Yes, of course, uh, Jeremy. And, and the industries that jump to mind is is the construction companies, your equipment suppliers, both on the generation side and on the on the infrastructure side. Off the back of that, you will see more opportunities for banks and financial institutions to participate in this whole process. And then ultimately, I think, you know, the development or shall I rather say the resurrection of the, the local industries supporting this massive infrastructure rollout, which will eventually, you know, result in, in additional job creation across the country, which is really important, you know, to support the whole energy transition from dirty coal to gas and ultimately green power with battery storage.
If I can add to, to Bernard's point, um, I think what's really important to understand is that where the real benefit is, where the real opportunity of South Africa is for, in this whole rollout, is for local players and local development of components and, and equipment that's going to be going into, the, into this program. And what we really need is to attract capital and to attract skills into these sectors is that we need certainty um, that there's going to be demand for many years to come. And this is what we saw when, when the Renewable Energy IPP program uh, first came into being. Um, a number of international players came and set up shop here in South Africa and set up factories. And unfortunately, when that program stalled, um, a lot of these businesses went under. And so what we're really hoping will happen is that now that there's going to be certainty of a rollout over many years, that we'll see those um, investors coming back into that market and seeing those jobs created once again. That's so important, Andre. What would your definition then of certainty be in that respect? What, what signals would you look for? Well, previously, we were looking for defined programs that were set out by government. And as those programs were rolled out, we knew that there would be multiple projects coming on stream every year. Now, what we're hoping will happen is that as the president's announced, the regulations will be removed. It will remove the obstacles and remove the red tape so the private sector can get in and start developing these projects uh, and selling that power to other private sector players. So as long as the policy changes that we heard from the president last week are implemented effectively, we will see that as a signal things are about to happen. So, Bernard, let me ask you this question then. What are banks doing? What do they need to do to help provide and accelerate solutions to this power crisis? Jeremy, I think that banks have an appetite to fund independent power producers. If you look at round five, the overall requirement was 2,600 megawatts and offers were received for over 10,000 megawatts, all of them fully underwritten by banks and financial institutions. Like Andre said, with the market opening up towards the private sector, Banks have also been looking at those projects with long-term private off-takers as contracting parties. Exciting announcement by the president as well around the the appetite from from Eskom to buy surplus power from private generators, which includes homeowners, which is quite exciting that your own system on your residential roof could be feeding electricity back into the grid and alleviating the, the power constraints that we're currently facing. From an Investec side, we've partnered with Voltex, and we're providing a residential solar solution to our private bank clients, which is very exciting and will also help these clients with the load shedding currently experienced. Andre, Tertia spoke about 2010, the Football World Cup and the Gau train, um, and also not having had any major mega projects since then. Do we still have the, the construction capacity uh, to ramp up quickly to start getting this done? Well, I think it's commonly known that uh, our construction sector has faced massive headwinds over the past decade. And I think when people think about mega projects, uh, especially in the electricity sector, the first thing is our minds go to Madupi and Kassili and we think this is going to be a disaster, cost overruns um, and all sorts of other problems. And I think what's important to understand here is that these projects are quite different. First of all, even the largest, you know, what we refer to as utility scale renewables projects are a fraction of the size and the complexity of the likes of a Madupi or a Kassili. Secondly, uh, most of the rollout that we we anticipate in the renewable space will be smaller projects. So it's well diversified, well distributed across the country and into different um, locations. And that will create an opportunity for construction um, companies of all sizes to get involved. Secondly, the, the, the technical complexity of renewables is much lower than other technologies. And solar PV in particular is modular in nature, uh, which makes it a whole lot easier to construct. 
I think uh, what's also relevant to, to remember is that we have had four rounds of the RERPP program. Over 160 projects, wind and solar, have been uh, developed and have been constructed successfully in South Africa. And so we have built up a reasonable skills base on the back of that, which will stand us in very good stead for, for the plans going forward. And lastly, I think the construction companies that we have and the skills and expertise where we feel like some of that may have been lost will also create the opportunity for foreign direct investment as we, we anticipate that some foreign experienced uh, developers and const uh, construction companies will look to partner with our local players to roll out some of this, uh, this infrastructure spend. All right. I want to conclude this podcast by asking you for some closing remarks. And maybe let me just preface that by saying, as a result of this action plan, do you believe that, one, we are over the worst now, that this will deliver what the country needs? And the second question is, as you watch all of this unfold over the next months and years, what are your principal concerns? Jeremy, I think load shedding is still going to be, you know, a challenge. It's not going to go away anytime soon. So from that perspective, you know, business activity, production, you know, consumer confidence will still be impacted. But very important then that this momentum that happened over the past week is going to be sustained. And certainly there will be more energy. Um, you know, I'm talking about dynamism coming into our economy as this build starts to take off. And Andre, the final word to you and Tersha's take on this about sustaining the momentum is absolutely critical. Otherwise, all of this just dies on the boulevard of broken promises, doesn't it? Well, we really hope not. I think just one other point that's worth mentioning that we haven't quite touched on is around the fact that as to how we actually got here. And I think it's very important because had Eskom done all the things they were, they were supposedly meant to do, uh, you know, in the late 90s, into the 2000s, and continued to build out um, power generation capacity, they would probably still be the monopoly they always were. And so I think we need to look at this as a positive to say, yes, we've come through a crisis, but there's some real positives coming out of this crisis. Would we ever have liberalized our um, generation capacity and our, our energy sector to the point that we have now? Probably not. And I think that's something we need to be positive about and at least uh, decelerate in a way, um, that some good has come out of the bad. And lastly, in terms of where we are, I don't believe we're out of the woods um, yet, but I do hope that we've reached our maximum point of pain and that we're now at the tipping point. We're from here, we're really going to see this growth and we're really going to see the capacity coming on grid and eventually see an end to the crisis. We certainly cannot afford any more pain, can we? Uh, to all three of you, Tosha Jacobs, Andre Vepinar and Bernard Kalvanais, thank you so much for your insights and for joining me on No Ordinary Wednesday. Please join us again on the 17th of August as we continue to explore money trends shaping your world. If you haven't yet added us to your podcast feed, search for Investec Focus Radio SA wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button. Until next time, goodbye from me, Jeremy Maggs, and the entire Focus Radio team. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of the firm and should not be taken as advice or recommendations. Investec Limited and subsidiaries, authorized financial service providers, registered credit providers, and long-term insurer.